And a very good evening to you and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027 with me, Richard Koch. This program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8 and in it I talk to someone who is a person of note and we listen to music of their choice. My guest tonight is just about to leave one important job and start another important job. His name is Ashraf Yoherdin, and he's been the executive producer of the National Arts Festival Makanda, and from the 1st of March, he will be the new CEO of Business and Arts South Africa. Welcome, Ashraf. Thank you so much, Richard. And it's an important uh, change over time in your life, so it's interesting, or it will be interesting, to hear your views on what's happening in the arts. You've been involved in many different arts organizations. Perhaps you can just tell us some of them. Uh, February, in fact, marks my 14th year in Johannesburg. And during my time here, I've been uh, I, principally I moved up to be general manager of the Arts and Culture Trust, uh, which I did for about five years. Uh, following that, I went to WITS for two years. I was at UJ for five. Uh, I was at NAF for the last three and our bars are, so it's been quite a whirlwind of very interesting jobs, uh, which have given me a, a really interesting perspective on uh, creativity and uh, cultural production, not only in uh, Johannesburg and in South Africa, but I, especially with the National Arts Festival, I think I really have a sense of um, where arts, culture and creativity is going globally because there's there've been quite massive shifts in the last five years. Um, so the, the industry is in a very interesting space. Can you just give us a brief overview of what those uh, changes have been in the last five years? Well, so so one of the critical things is audiences, audiences and, and funding. So um, when I moved to Johannesburg for the Arts and Culture Trust, we would look at artists and arts organizations applying for funding and the sorts of things that they would do to reach the audience was advertise in the newspaper uh, and do posters and flyers and those sorts of things. And that's just... Um, it's gone. It's gone. I mean, coming here, walking into the studio, I was looking at my cell phone. I think most of the listeners would have looked at their cell phones within the last hour, unless you're like me and you try and do cell phone-free cell phone free Sundays. We now have to disengage ourselves. So the world has shifted quite a lot, and the competition for audience and engagement is massive. So you really need to understand who you are, what you're doing, who your constituency is, what your value proposition is. And it's often very difficult for artists and arts organizations to articulate that because they believe what they do has intrinsic value, which I agree with. But when you're competing with everything in the world, with Spotify, with Google Music, with uh, Netflix, with Apple TV, the, the demands and the availability are so much that live arts really needs to you know, assert itself and articulate and tell its story and show why it's valuable and engage audiences and take them with them on a journey. Well, that's what we're going to be exploring in the next couple of hours. So stay very close to us, listeners, because it's a fascinating and important story. Your first choice, Ashraf, is An Arabesque by Claude Debussy, played by South African pianist Christopher Digan. That was the arabesque number one in E major by Claude Debussy, played by Christopher Digan, the choice of Ashraf Yohardin, who's my guest in People of Note. Ashraf, you've just come from two and a half years in Grahamstown, or Makanda, the National Arts Festival Makanda, as executive producer, which was more a hands-on uh, arts organization to 
for performance. Is that is that fair? But now you're coming to a very different job. I don't know that they feel so different. I don't really feel like I've left anything and moved on to anything else. It all is very much a continuum and a, a kind of ecosystem of arts. Yes, they are very they are very different. Baza will be quite different to what my experience was at the National Arts Festival, which was lovely and amazing and quite chaotic. I mean, it's the largest multi-arts festival of its kind on the African continent. So it is effectively Africa's Edinburgh. And just the sheer volume of it still makes my mind boggle. Um, so that's a very different way of engaging and being. Um, and it is definitely a, a very hands-on, has been a very hands-on gig, as it were. Um, I don't think that Basel will be that different uh, in terms of its hands-onness, but in, in terms of its focus, it will be quite different. Because my role at the National Arts Festival was very much about realizing the program, the main program for every year, uh, working with a, with a group of curators. Before I had started at the National Arts Festival, there was a 21-person advisory committee, which was whittled down to a, sort of about a half a dozen curators who made selections from an open call. And then just really try and balance that and um, operationalize and program that for the festival audience. This is quite a different proposal, I suppose, to um, the role and purpose of business in Art South Africa. But finally, we're all in the same creative space, as it were. And uh, we're the constituency at the National Arts Festival was creatives, was was the audience. Um, the important addition at Business and Art South Africa is, of course, business and the role that business has to play in corporate citizenship in terms of um, good corporate social investment to really understand and articulate for Baza and its members, and not only Baza and its members, but I think for, for the private sector generally and, and for businesses operating uh, and articulating with the arts realm, uh, to articulate for them what the value of the art is. In Nicola Danby's time, she was really excellent in, in drawing a parallel between how well uh, sports had achieved that. Uh, because you have sports massively invested in, uh, it, it, a, a business invested in sports. If you think of Ned Bank and the Ned Bank Golf Challenge. Um, Standard Bank Cricket. Standard Bank Cricket, there we go. N not that neither of those are, in, are not invested in the arts either, but somehow, the narrative around the value of sports is easier for South Africans to understand. And I think we've been struggling with articulating the value of art to business and to South Africans in general. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch this space. And we're going to give people a moment to think about this now because we're going to play the Adagio for Strings by Samuel Barber. It's played by the Los Angeles Philharmonic under Leonard Bernstein. The very beautiful Adagio for Strings by Samuel Barber played there by the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Leonard Bernstein, the choice of Ashraf Yohardin, who is the incoming CEO of Business and Arts South Africa. And it's very interesting to me that the moment there that you talked about uh, sports sponsorship and art sponsorship, because very often you watch, uh, let's say, a, a cricket match, which is heavily funded, let's say, by Standard Bank, and if it's a five-day match, there's a handful of people in the stadium. So it's, it's more about reaching the people in the television audience than a live audience. Arts sponsorship rarely needs a live audience. It's a very interesting difference for me. It's quite something to wrap your head around. And again, 
the nature of live performance is ephemeral so you know once the event is over there, there's very little record or a very it's quite difficult to measure the impact of that um, I suppose that's where business strategy comes into play because then one really needs to understand what arts can bring to can bring to business and I think what, what business in arts South Africa has been very good about is uh, perhaps shifting a little bit away from so, so, so the marketing sponsorship of business around the arts is tricky because then it becomes a very branded um, marketing deliverables sort of uh, contract and engagement. Where CSI is, is perhaps a, a more valuable space to invest and to lobby in so that there's an understanding about um, that it is necessary for business in terms of healthy cities, healthy neighborhoods, to make sure that arts and culture is accessible to their employees, to their clients, to the kinds of um, neighborhoods and cities where they do their business. And that's a very different value proposition. So they're two very different pitches, as it were. And I think that the CSI pitch um, for a long time with, with organizations like uh, uh, Chichikulu investments um, have not had uh, the, the narratives have not been very well known but I think that there's already been a lot of work done by organizations like that um, who have a deep understanding of how arts and culture is for the benefit of everybody and sometimes the business principles of seeing a logo uh, or of airtime um, are not necessarily the only way or the most valuable ways of measuring the impact the impact of arts and culture. So this is what's very interesting to me, and uh, and that's where I would like to deepen the work of business in arts South Africa is in terms of really engaging business in in their role, um, not only in terms of the, the business strategy, but in in terms of the intrinsic value of arts and culture for me is really beyond. Um, box office figures or bottom lines. Yes, they count and they make it easy, but the harder work is about making sure that you understand that it's an important aspect of people's lives and how, how one measures that and advocates for that is an important thing to think about. Music by Mozart. That was the Rondo alla Turca from his piano sonata number 11. Daniel Barenboim playing there. And there was someone who could have done with some sponsorship, not Daniel Barenboim, Mozart. <laughs> Because uh, towards the end of his life, he had a tough time. He was not very good at managing his finances. I mean, within his lifetime, he made quite a lot of money, but he was not good at managing it. And that's another problem I think that we have. I don't know if it's worldwide, but certainly in South Africa, is artists being able to manage their own funding, sponsors' funding. I think there's a sort of general lack of confidence in the ability of arts to manage its own affairs properly. But that's because we have a huge gap in the industry for arts managers, arts administrators, tour managers. And there has been another curious narrative over the last sort of five to ten years where artists have been encouraged to think of themselves as brands and uh, are required to apply business thinking to the way they do their work. I disagree with that. I really think that we need to invest in that space between 
the business and the artist, because there's a whole aspect of management which is missing. If one just thinks of the book industry in South Africa, um, they're, they're, you don't have literary managers. Uh, there are very few literary managers. Often authors will be expected to engage directly with literary houses and they don't know where to begin. The same with artists going on tour. An artist is not necessarily great at managing budgets or logistics. And this is something I've come across time and time again with the artists I've engaged with at the National Arts Festival. In fact, one of the requirements I've built into the contract, which is a little bit terrible, but was the requirement that they all have a producer because an artist is not necessarily a producer. They know their craft. They spent a lifetime learning their craft. And I think it's somewhat unfair to expect them to also be business people. I think it's okay to expect that they have an understanding uh, that there is a kind of, uh, uh, that there's a gap between the work itself and how the work reaches an audience. But to expect them to manage that, I think is unfair. And I think a lot of investment needs to happen in that space. People like Robin Orland do not program their works internationally. She has a tour manager. And this is true for people like Stephen Cohen. All six internationally successful artists all have that. Brett Bailey's got Barbara Mathers from Third World Bunfight. You need to have, a, artists need to have a strong company, producer, or business manager behind them to expect them to do that themselves i really think is very unfair but we are finding certainly in the music world that uh people with entrepreneurial skills are doing rather better than perhaps some of their contemporaries who don't have those skills absolutely uh and and i think that that's fine if the if an artist has an aptitude for it what i'm disagreeing with is the requirement that that is the case uh because i think not enough investment has happened in creating that those kinds of support structures for artists who are not business savvy or don't interest or don't necessarily have an aptitude for the for those kinds of business skills and i think we can look at that as well as perhaps part of what barca may be able to facilitate in the the years ahead but here comes some music by beethoven now your next choice this is Ashraf Yohadin, my guest. This is Symphony Number no. 7, The Second Movement. That was the second movement, the Allegretto from the Symphony Number no. 7 by Beethoven, the Budapest Festival Orchestra under Ivan Fischer. My guest is Ashraf Yohadin, the incoming CEO of Business and Arts South Africa, and he's been, for the last two and a half years, the executive producer at the National Arts Festival, Makanda. That's Grahamstown, that was. As part of Business and Arts South Africa, do you think part of that brief may be to help to run workshops or training courses or, or fund or find funders for them? to make people more business-minded in the arts, or is that not part of your brief? No, that, that is very much part of the brief, and Basel already has several sort of business toolkits. They have a mentorship program. So it is very much already part of Basel's strategy. Um, what is of interest to me is where, where, where these resources are pitched. Currently, they're pitched directly at artists, and I think that's fine for an artist who is interested. Um, I would like to encourage a layer uh, in between the artist uh, and the audience, which is the arts administrator and the and, and the arts business manager, um, who is not necessarily a practicing artist, but has an affinity for the arts, understands business needs, but also understands what an artist needs. So I, I'd like to grow. Often people don't wake up and think I want to be an arts administrator. Certainly I didn't. I started out in the industry wanting to be uh 
a performer and realized I was not that good at it. And then I took up writing and I, I sort of fell into arts administration, which took me into arts management. And I think that there are more people who could more proactively choose that because uh, I think that younger people are more self-aware now and it doesn't take them a, a decade to understand that the throws and the slings and arrows of of the industry uh, in terms of performing are necessarily for them, but they like to be close to the industry. So um, often you will find at uh, tertiary institutions, these are people who become stage managers or they become lighting designers. And to include into that set, not just working behind the scenes, uh, specifically in, in the live arts, but also to work in, in the arena, in the industry, as a manager or as an administrator. On, on the admin side. On the admin yeah. side. Um, because I think this is interesting to a lot of people, and there are people who are drawn to it, and people are exceptional at it. People like Barbara Maths of Third World Bunfight, who's been doing it for three, four decades. And are there courses at universities in South Africa for that very thing? Uh, WITS, I'm, I'm led to believe, has a, um, an arts administration postgraduate course. Um, it's the only one that I'm really aware of. I, I know for a while um, the Dutch embassy funded the development of a kind of toolkit and arts management courses which were being run by the Arts and Culture Trust. Um, I hope those are still going. But it, it, it's, not a, it's not a broadly available choice. Well, uh, at the moment, here comes the swan. This is from the Carnival of the Animals, blithely floating along the top of the water, paddling furiously underneath, no doubt. It's played by Sheku Kanemason. The Swan from the Carnival of, of, of the Animals by Saint-Saëns, featuring Sheku Kanemason, Catherine Thomas on harp, and the cellos from the city of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. The choice of Ashraf Yohardin, my guest in People of Note. Ashraf, you mentioned briefly in our previous chat about your own origins in and your involvement in the arts. Just give us an idea of how you got involved yourself. Well, um, I went to a boarding school in the UK, uh, uh, in fact, to a boarding school in Wales, to an international school. And my desire, my first love in the arts uh, is, in fact, uh, visual art. I wanted to become a graphic designer, and I enrolled at UCT remotely from from my boarding school in South Wales, only to arrive at UCT in the early 90s to learn that that course had been discontinued. Uh, I had been accepted, um, and then I was the only option available to me was fine art, but I had a chat with somebody from the drama department who suggested that I just look at a general BA degree, and then if I felt like it, perhaps pursue drama, and I did, and I liked the general stuff. Uh, I was able to continue practicing some of my visual arts passion and interest, um, and that sort of took me to the Baxter, where I worked for nearly a decade in sort of marketing, front of house, and everywhere, so it was really by accident. My intention was to become a graphic designer, I ended up in the theatre. Um, I, I met Roy Sargent while I was at the Baxter, who gave me my first break as a playwright. Um, so I've sort of been round and about uh, meandering through all of the different arts organisations. I've been with Ezeco, Museums of Cape Town. I've been with the National Gallery. Uh, I've presented work at Artscape at the Baxter, at the National Arts Festival more than a couple of times. And uh, I've already spoken about uh, my trajectory in Johannesburg, where I've been with three or four. So you know the arts from inside as someone who is an artist, but you also know it from the admin side, which is really useful where you are now at Business and Arts South Africa. 
Indeed, uh, and I think I'm happiest when those two halves of me are quite balanced. Often I, I put the playwright and the creative side on hold. Uh, the the with the increasing complexity of the jobs I've taken on, the roles I've taken on. In fact, I've, I haven't produced any work while I've been at the National Arts Festival, but I'm looking forward to putting some work back out, out there again in the gap between NAF and, and BASA. Um, but yes, indeed. So I really feel that being a practitioner, uh, working with practitioners as peers, um, positions me quite differently to somebody who just has a sense of what an artist may or may not need. Uh, and then, you know, my, my day to day is really working with, with the detail of the administration and uh, how that plugs into cultural programming sort of regionally and nationally. Um, yeah. Your next choice is None Shall Sleep. And perhaps that's an appropriate moment to talk about <laughs> <laughs> funding and how how you found funding issues with the National Arts Festival and funding going forward. Let's listen to Johan Boerter, famous South African tenor, singing Nesundorma. Famous South African tenor Johan Boerter singing Nesundorma by Puccini with the Vienna Radio Symphony Orchestra under Paolo Carignani. Ashraf, we were talking about funding. Just We've got a brief couple of minutes here to talk about funding with the National Arts Festival, perhaps funding in general. It's not getting easier. It's not. I mean, it's, uh, the, the problem, the problem, the, the challenge with live arts is that it becomes exponentially more expensive. Um, so what you could do with a, a National Arts Festival budget five years ago is now roughly, I mean, it's a, you, you can maybe do two thirds of what you did five years ago. It's just things are becoming more expensive and budgets don't increase. Um, what I did, my, my position with, with, with arts funding, though, is, and I learned this from Manny Manum, who introduced me to fundraising when he hired me as the Baxter's fundraiser when I was 24 and knew nothing about anything, <laughs> um, is that money isn't everything. Uh, it's about building, re building relationships, brokering goodwill, articulating value. So it's, it's not really about rands and cents. It's about asking, making sure that the ask is there and that when people are feeling good and want to give that you create those opportunities for giving. Um, so so I, I think that we also don't have um, great fundraisers. We have, we have had a handful of them. Uh, and I really am very appreciative of sort of that nascent fundraising moment and introduction, the, the time that Manny enabled me to really wrap my head around how one makes that happen. Because often people just collapse into themselves and organizations collapse into themselves when the money is not there. But really, that is the point at which one starts articulating the value and one starts looking at ways of... So fundraising is not about raising money. It's about brokering relationships. And this is what I think I will take to Business in Art South Africa. Well, here's someone who is just about wanting to break relationships. This is the Queen of the Night from Mozart's Magic Flute. This is the famous aria de Höhle Racha. The famous Queen of the Night aria from the Magic Flute. She was very angry. <laughs> Patricia Pettibon was the soprano with Concerto Cologne and Daniel Harding. And it's the choice of Ashraf Johardin, who's my guest in People of Note. That's the program you're listening to on Classic 1027. It's just about 7 o'clock. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back after this. It's just gone 7 o'clock. I'm Richard Koch, and you're listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. My guest in the program tonight is Ashraf Johardin, who 
from the 1st of March will be the CEO of Business and Arts South Africa, and he has just come from the National Arts Festival Makanda, where he was the executive producer. Can I just ask you quickly about National Arts Festival Makanda? That is a change uh, which has happened, what, in the last year or so? In the last year, uh, I think it was, in fact, uh, the name the name change was approved uh, during the last, at the end of the last festival. Um, and the, the official name of the National Arts Festival, it's registered se- Section 21 name, is National Arts Festival Grahamstown. So by default, it now becomes National Arts Festival Makanda. And is Grahamstown going to be Makanda now? Grahamstown, is, it is, is already. Makanda, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that change has already taken place. Well, uh, many things are changing. <laughs> Not only town names, but festival names and... Uh, the whole way of approaching the arts. As we were saying earlier, um, newspapers have gone. Radio is, I think, gaining in importance. Absolutely. I I agree 100%. Online, uh, artists have to develop a whole new way of working now to reach their public. Also to understand who their public is, where their public is, and to speak to them in a way... To speak to speak to them in a language which they understand. Um, I think radio is fantastic because it's so available, uh, especially with the limitations in South Africa given our checkered history. It's available to everyone, so it's a great medium for getting to a very broad audience base. And I think radio stations are doing well. And it's very immediate. It's very immediate. Um, uh, newspapers um, are having to reinvent themselves. But people, I, I, I will confess, I don't know when last I bought a paper unless it comes across my desk because I get my news online. Um, so online is sort of anything, everything, everywhere. So un- to un- understand where your audience is going, where they're navigating to is really important. Social media? So social media is a little bit confusing. I have, I have dialed back from it because uh, I've seen and I've been... Uh, I've been um, I've been led astray by social media. When I was at the <laughs> at the University of Johannesburg, I imagined creating a, an event on Facebook would let people know and when people liked or people RSVP to the event that they would show up. So, you know, we'd have events at, at UJ and, you know, 250 people would have indicated their attendance and maybe if you were lucky, 25 other people would turn up. Um, so I think social media is inherently unreliable and one when, when you're aware of that, it's okay for presence building, but it's not a very re- reliable platform in my view. Your next choice is again by Puccini. This is One Fine Day Unberdi from Madame Butterfly. It's sung by Angela Giorgio with the Giuseppe Verdi Orchestra of Milan. Angela Giorgio singing Unberdi from Madame Butterfly by Puccini. She was accompanied by the Giuseppe Verdi Symphony Orchestra of Milan under Anton Coppola. A choice of Ashraf Yohardin, my guest in People of Note. Ashraf, certainly something that I've noticed over the last maybe year, 18 months, two years, is that audience booking patterns are now very different. I don't know whether you've had the same thing in uh, at the National Arts Festival. People are booking much later now for things. Ha- has it happened there too? To some degree, yes. Uh, the National Arts Festival audience is a, is quite a different audience, though. It's a legacy audience which has been built up over the last 45 years. So the the larger majority of the audience tends towards certain trend and pattern, which has not shifted dramatically. But there, there is a movement towards 
bookings happening later. What, what we have seen with audiences at the National Arts Festival is uh, five, six years ago, according to the impact study that was done at the time, people were spending sort of six days at the National Arts Festival. That's truncated to three days. The number of shows uh, then have also halved. So, so yeah, there's a there's an economic shift. Do you mean the number of shows on offer? No, the number of shows that people are booking that people for, are booking for. for. Yeah, uh, people are choosing um, people are choosing to attend free events to supplement the the shows that they no longer have the money to book for. So, I think that the economy has played quite an important role when it comes to ticketed events, um, and I think that has definitely impacted the way in which audiences are behaving and their booking patterns and it makes it quite difficult quite difficult to um work on break-even budgets because it's difficult to know whether or not a work will um meet its targets its financial targets. and also uh in in the case of the national arts festival people have to travel to get there which is also expensive now well not everyone but a lot of people have the to vast travel. majority absolutely so? right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so the, NAF is a destination festival, but coupled with its position as a destination festival, it's also a sort of bucket list item for a lot of people, or it is an annual pilgrimage for, for many others. So, you know, there are components built in that help some people get over um, the sort of destination aspect, the cost of traveling, the, the cost of staying there. Um, but, but, but encouraging new audiences uh, has become exponentially harder if people haven't done it before or it's not on their bucket list to get them to do it for the first time um, or to get them to understand that it's something that they should do at least once in their lifetimes. Uh, convincing them is, is quite a lot harder. Your next choice is by Umberto Giordano and it's La Mama Morta from Andrea Chenier. Maria Callas is the singer. Maria Callas singing La Mama Morta by Giordano from Andre Chenier. And there's some reason you've chosen that? Um, so a, lo a lot of my selections for this evening have got to do with um, either music which moves me or makes me feel something or comes from a particular moment. And uh, the first time I saw a piece of opera in a fantastic film by a very pop with a, featuring a very popular actor was Tom Hanks uh, in Philadelphia. And this is... La Mama Morta is the, the, the piece which plays when he's standing um, with, with a saline bag and, you know, just in terms of echoing and mirroring the anguish and emotion of that particular scene. I mean, the, that has burnt that particular aria into, into my soul. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> also, the, um, the, the same is true for the, for the Madama Butterfly piece. Inspired by that particular moment in Philadelphia, I used Unbel D uh, in my play Happy Endings. Uh, it's both in the play and this is sort of the, the great denouement of the play. Just briefly, since you, you touched on your career as a writer, it's interesting that there are a couple of people in arts administration who are writers. And I'm thinking of Mike van Khran, Ishmael Mohammed, Ismail Mohammed, yourself, Lara Foote. Lara Foote, quite a lot, who are also good administrators. That's quite quite an interesting combination for me of things uh, sorry i'm just commenting no, in no, passing it, it, yeah. is, it is a an interesting observation quite but quite a few is also you know it's a, a handful is a handful <laughs> it's a piece of string because i really wish that there were a lot more of us yeah yeah yeah. just uh, also in passing and you can perhaps give me your personal view on this because 2020 will be 200 years since 
the arrival of the uh, British settlers in the Eastern Cape. And the monument was actually, it's run by the 1820 Foundation, is it? The, well, the Grahamstown Foundation. Graham the Graham the Stone name Foundation. was changed at some point in its history to the Grahamstown Foundation. Uh, correct. I mean, the, the it's going to be an interesting <laughs> moment in its history. There have been some internal conversations, uh, which I'm not privy to because I'm on my way out, as you know. Um, but I, I think the, the the festival itself and and the foundation has a curious relationship with its genesis and its history. Um, I mean, there's a particular moment which I find quite lovely. There was that grand fire of the monument, I think, in the 90s. And very few people know that Nelson Mandela rededicated the monument to all the people of South Africa. And the way he saw the monument was not as a monument to the 1820 settlers, but that rebuilding of the monument as a moment to rebuild its focus and its purpose. And if I can recall from from, from his speech, I read the transcript because it was so interesting to me. He said, many other monuments just stand sort of dead and lifeless, looking at nothing, where this is a living monument and every year it celebrates culture and creativity. So I think um, what happens in the, in the monument is a great opportunity to, re- to, to re-articulate the narrative, to re-articulate its relationship to its genesis and its history. And I think the festival does that every year. And uh, I really hope that they just take it by the horns and do that because it's a good thing and it's a great place. Yeah, and 2020 will be a good moment to do that. So for that, we say hallelujah. Well, you can hear from the acoustic there that that was recorded in King's College, Cambridge, and it was the choir of King's College, Cambridge, with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields under Sir David Wilcox, and that was the famous Hallelujah Chorus by George Frederick Handel, a chorus which I'm sure has rung around the halls of the theatre in uh, Makanda. <laughs> I'd have to get used to that now. The theatre in Makanda at the National Arts Festival amongst others but it's a great piece and often sung by choirs and and if i may richard and sometimes used in pieces again the reason i selected that uh it's a moment in a in a play uh by an american uh performance artist tim miller and um i did a in in 2008 i did a sort of compilation of five of his works and there was this one particular moment where he uses um the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah, again, for this grand moment. And just his, his description of the piece is so lovely. He says, I think the line from the play is like, all the who's in Whosville holding hands and singing. To, and it is just that wonderful, triumphant moment. And again, a really great piece to use in a piece of live performance. So great sung by, 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 by um, a choir, but also just lovely to have in a work and to support a, a live a live performance moment and it's a wonderful sing-along piece also for for people because many people have sung in choirs and sung that piece and you often find i find when i'm performing it uh, the audience those who can love to join in if they can just humming along or singing along uh, you know loudly the spirit really moves me when i hear it <laughs> yeah no it, it really is it's a fantastic piece and handel he was a sharp businessman let me tell you He knew a good tune when he had one. And uh, funny enough, uh, well, he he discovered that when he couldn't perform opera, which was during Lent and Advent, he put on operas without acting, like oratorios, in churches so that it didn't seem that they were performances as such opera performances so that he could continue to earn money during Lent and Clever man. He was a smart guy. Yeah, he was a real entrepreneur and a great beer drinker. (laughs) It was fantastic. 
Well, your next choice is a drinking song. Talking of beer, <laughs> it's Libiamo from La Traviata by Verdi, Placido Domingo with Inva Mula singing. The famous love duet, in a way, he's telling her, uh, Violetta, Alfredo is telling Violetta that really he's deeply in love with her and they drink a toast together. Libiamo Nilieti Calici from La Traviata by Verdi with the musicians of the Louvre under Eugene Cohn, the choice of Ashraf Yohardin. Ashraf, we've had a couple of uh, opera arias. This is an art form which is now struggling a bit in South Africa, as are many. Struggling uh, quite a lot. Struggling quite, no, actually more than quite a lot. A lot struggling yeah. a lot. Yeah. And uh, for art lovers, for opera lovers, of course, that's uh, sad. But again, we have to try to find new ways of doing these things. Just talk us through that a moment, because it's something we used to have an opera and a ballet every year at the festival. So I, I've been trying to do an, uh, well, an opera or a ballet every year. I have really been struggling this year uh, in terms of securing a ballet, just uh, in terms of the timing. I, w um, I will be... Uh, continuing to pursue that before I leave NAF to make sure that there is either an opera or a ballet. Sadly, it, it seems that it, it might need to be a ballet from overseas. Um, again, because there are forms of funding that enable that kind of international touring to happen. Um, I, I, I was engaging with Gauteng Opera because they've in fact, I think, never played the National Arts Festival, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And I really felt that it, it would have been a good moment but the financial position and the, the, the stability of security for the year is not clear. Uh, so we were unable to commit. But I really love Tin Town Theatre and the, the, the program that Andre has been putting together. Uh, his, his series at the end of last year was just fantastic. So we do have moments where we have individuals raging against the dying of the light, people like Andre who have been speaking to the mayor, who, who have been doing their utmost in terms of rallying their boards to try and make sure that um, organizations like Gauteng Opera continue. Gauteng Opera used to be Blacktown Ensemble, if I recall. Um, and even in its Blacktown Ensemble days, it evolved into Gauteng Opera as a, as a means to try and uh, secure a future for itself. So I'm not sure what the answer is. Um, it seems like the ballet companies are doing a little bit better. Um, perhaps international partners that need some kind of deu ex machina or international intervention because somehow we're just not getting it right to sustain them. But again, it's got to do with the massive cost attached to mounting grand operas and grand ballets. Which is enormous. Absolutely. And, and, and the only way I've been able to, um, I managed to get uh, Romeo and Juliet by uh, Cape Town Ballet last year was because they, it was a piece which they had in repertoire and they were prepared to, we brokered a deal that was, that, that made it um, valuable for the audience, <laughs> not necessarily financially lucrative for the ballet or for the festival. Um, so, yes, it's, they're, they're challenging because of the scale of those works. But what I like um, is uh, Joburg Ballet, for example, is sort of doing mini ballets and Gauteng Opera has been looking at sort of a deconstructing operas and doing moments from it. And I suppose as long as one does what you can to keep the form alive and to keep the audience engaged and uh, aware that that the work is still happening, that's what we can do in the interim. But certainly, I agree, a, a huge intervention is needed and a lot of money, I guess. And here comes a very grand opera, Die Valkyrie, by Richard Wagner. This is the famous Ride of the Valkyries. The famous Ride of the Valkyries from Die Valkyrie by Richard Wagner. 
the London Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Sir Adrian Bolt, the choice of Ashraf Yohardin. Ashraf, you've been involved with many different arts organisations over the past 20 years, maybe more than that, and you've got a really good overview of things. Presumably with the National Arts Festival, you were travelling around South Africa, meeting arts organisations, artists, and trying to persuade them to come to the festival. I just One of the thoughts I had while we are listening to the ride of the Valkyries was that there are so many fantastic opera singers from South Africa abroad, and it would be amazing if we could bring a whole team of them back here, perhaps even with an international orchestra, and get them to perform somewhere, because our best singing artists are now out of the country. And also orchestral musicians, there are lots all around the world. It would be fantastic to try and get them all back as some sort of celebration of South Africanness. Uh, I, I think that would be amazing. And it seems more and more that those are the kinds of strategies which the festival is having to employ in terms of getting um, classical programming onto the main program uh, because, because the budgets are so limited. Um, uh, I have been doing quite a lot of traveling as much internationally as, as locally. I mean, South Africans know about the National Arts Festival and the convincing is not so hard. It's negotiating the budgets. <laughs> it's very hard. Um, and again, this is why I'm really, really happy about my move to business in Arts South Africa because we really need quite a substantial injection of capital into <laughs> into organizations like NAF, into, into the creative industries generally, just to make sure that conversations are possible. The, the reason a lot of the arts is mobile and alive um, in the rest of the world is because touring is possible. In Europe, they tour. Um, in African countries, not so much, but there are these touring and mobility funds which are starting to emerge again, which is making it possible for work to move. So for a, there was some time where the festival was only able to get international work uh, by working via embassies. And now it's possible to apply directly to all of these funds that I've sort of come across in my travels. And that's how we've been able to increase the number of international works on the program. But it would be nice to see that reflected in the, on the landscape here, to see more, more work, because touring work is an expensive exercise in its own right as well. You mentioned there briefly the rest of Africa, and it's not something we've touched on yet, but this is a very good moment to do it. Tell me about the arts scene in the rest of Africa. In my time at NAF, I've managed to go to two African countries because the funding was there for it. So I can't because I don't know. I've managed to go to Haifa um, in, in Zim and I've, I've managed to go to Kinani in Mozambique. So I don't know because I don't know the kinds of work that is happening uh, because we don't we don't we don't exchange work that much. Um, I think in terms of Zim and in terms of Mozambique, there are cousins. They're literally across the border and the opportunity to exchange work is really like uh, exchanging work just from an, from another region. But South Africans have become, over the last two decades, very parochial. <laughs> We're really very interested in our own stories and less interested in the rest of the world. I think that's amazing because, uh, you know, after 94, you thought things would open up completely, but they obviously haven't. <sighs> well, in some ways they have. Well, I, I find that um, certainly as a producer, having to account for the way in which funds were spent, I'm always having to defend an international artist in the program by assuring South African artists that the money is coming from elsewhere. Um, I think that the festival has, over the last four decades, done an amazing 
work of making sure South African stories are reflected on, on our stages. But it feels like artists are quite, I suppose, because of the limitations of the resources, jealous and guarded about their territory, about the resources that are available and want to be sure that South African rands are going to South African artists. Um, but I also think together with that, we've become a little bit, Amer you know, when you watch an American movie, the aliens only ever attack America and the rest of the world is kind of irrelevant. And I feel like we're so caught up in telling our own story. And there have been amazing stories over the last two decades. But as soon as a South African chooses to, as a playwright, I would never dare to set a play in, I don't know, somewhere uh, off the, the west coast of Canada because people would find that peculiar. I have spent a lot of time in Canada, so I don't see that there's any reason that I couldn't. But again, one would have to defend and articulate that choice because there is, in in my experience, a general tendency towards having become very um, bound up inside our borders. Uh, I do think that the festival audience is more generous uh, and are very interested and open to uh, work from outside South Africa. But again, at the National Arts Festival, the... The vast majority of the program is South African. It's 90, maybe even 95% South African. Well, we've been talking about rising and declining fortunes, and that's exactly what the next piece is about, O Fortuna, from Carmina Burana by Karl Orff. This is the New England Conservatory Chorus and the Boston Symphony Orchestra. The fabulous chorus, O Fortuna, from Carmina Burana by Karl Orff, that was the Boston Symphony Orchestra and the New England Conservatory Chorus under Seiji Ozawa. And that's an interesting choice, Ashraf, because um, Karl Orff made two versions of that. One is for a gigantic orchestra. The other is like an economy version because it's just for two pianos and percussion or even one piano and percussion. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's very interesting. It can be done expensively or cheaply. <laughs> and it's sort of the thing that choirs here are having to do now in, in terms of being able to do things cheaply. And there are lots of works that we are discovering that can be done in small versions and they are just as effective. And th this particular piece was my introduction to, <laughs> to classical music. Uh, I remember from the Old Spice ad when I was exactly. a kid. <laughs> And I've always loved it ever since. <laughs> and and there's another you know another change. Where do you find Old Spice these days? You hardly see it. Very rarely. I think you yeah. might find it at Diskip. <laughs> <laughs> so there we are. So it's not only the arts that are coming and going. It's also other things. And I mean, brands come and go. And Old Spice was a big brand at one time. My father wore it, and yeah. so hence hence the nostalgia and. Uh, the, how, how, why the piece has stayed with me for so, for so long. <laughs> well, I just have to ask you, are you looking forward to being back in the maelstrom of Johannesburg? Well, I was actually never out of the maelstrom of Johannesburg because I did the National Arts Festival remotely. So this is how ah, the world has changed. I would okay. travel. So uh, going to Makanda was a traveling, a monthly traveling exercise. Um, my year would be spent sort of two thirds of the year in Johannesburg. Um, and 120 days on the road, um, which I would split between Makanda, the rest of the country, and visiting festivals overseas. Well, I guess you'll still be traveling as part of your Barca duties. And I, I anticipate probably a lot more continentally because I'm, I'm, I'm led to believe that Barca's strategy is very much about um, 
positioning itself into Africa, which I'm very excited about because this aligns with quite a lot of what, what, what quite a lot of big businesses doing. ABSA, Standard Bank, all of them are going into Africa. And um, similarly, the Department of Arts and Culture is very interested in uh, sort of Afri African partnerships. So uh, I haven't really been able to grow my knowledge or networks on the continent um, very much more at the National Arts Festival, but I do hope that that will be part of my experience at Barza. I'm very much looking forward to that. I think that's a wonderful idea. And also then making connections perhaps for, for artists to go and visit these other places as well, because I'm sure there must be a market for South African artists in other African countries. Absolutely. Well, there's something to do. Let's listen to your last choice now, which is by Tchaikovsky. It's the second movement from his Piano Concerto No. 1. That was the second movement of the Piano Concerto No. 1 by Tchaikovsky. Lang Lang was the pianist, and the Chicago Symphony Orchestra was conducted by Daniel Barenboim. That was the final choice of Ashraf Yohardin, who is the incoming CEO of Business and Arts South Africa, and he's still got a foot at the National Arts Festival Makanda, and perhaps, Ashra, just before you leave, you can give us the, the contact points for both of those so that people know how to get hold of you or them. So the National Arts Festival is www.nationalartsfestival.co.za. Baza, uh, Business and Arts South Africa, is www.basa.co.za. And I also have a website. So people can find me directly on uh, ashraf.co.za There you go. All the information you need to get in touch with either the Arts Festival or Barca or Ashraf which is a good place for us to round off this program. You've been listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. It's broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8 and it's always a fascinating program as we meet people from the arts world and from many other worlds also in South Africa and indeed from further afield. So we thank you for listening. Thanks to Pitt for helping us to put it all together. And thank you, Ashraf, for coming in to talk to us. Thank you, Richard. A really robust and entertaining discussion. Thank you. And for our audience at home, we thank you too. And until next time, from all of us here at Classic 1027, we wish you a very good night.